I feel really honored to be asked to uh, preach today. Uh, as Betty says, most of you know me. Um, a lot of you know me as uh, Uncle Jack. Some call me Dr. Jack. Uh, some of you know me as Stephanie's father or Rebecca's father and Auntie Lisa's husband. Um, You know I'm a psychologist, I think. Some of you may know me. I've I've heard one time a person said, oh, that's the psychologist that raises his hand all the time when he worships. Some of you who come to the half-day prayer may know me as the one that cries a lot. But you may not know that um, I was a minister for an English congregation of a Chinese church from 1982 to 1984. That was one of my most memorable times that God has given me. Even though I never had a pastoral or theological degree, God allowed me to serve in a small congregation, preaching every other week for two years. So I look back and often tell people how wonderful it was to be able to get paid to study the Word. The preparing for and delivery of the sermons were hard. And that, that was why it took me two years uh, to complete my master's thesis in counseling. So standing up here today is not easy. Henry, when he preached last time, he said um, one of his children was going to put a bag over his head. I may need to use this bag afterwards to pull it over my head. And as I stand up here, you know, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong today. Um, I think the last-minute jitters of not having stand in front of people. I talk in front of people, but not preach for a long time, 30-odd years. You know, my iPad wouldn't open, and um, I couldn't go to sleep because I was still thinking of what to say. And uh, this morning, I, I feel like I'm... like the uh, Israelites who went into Jericho. Did you know what happened to them? These Israelites that were promised to go into the promised land. And um, three days before they were to go in and conquer Jericho, God asked them to do something. Do you know what they were asked to do? They were asked to be circumcised. And I feel like, well, not that I'm being circumcised. (laughs) I feel like, God, you know, what are you doing? Like, um, it seems like uh, I actually, in preparing for this sermon, uh, three, four weeks ago, one night I woke up and I couldn't sleep. 
and God was giving me ideas in my mind and what, what to say and what to talk. I said, and I woke up and I told Lisa, you know, I, I, I got it. I got the outline all done. I, I got all the ideas all there. Um, but then it comes yesterday and I was still kind of like the ideas were floating in, floating out, floating in, floating out. So it feels like those Israelites, and I, I know what they must have felt like. You know, three days before you're going in to conquer this mighty city, Jericho, and you were circumcised. And when I first read that, again, this year as we were going through our Sunday Life group together in this passage, you know, they didn't do it with surgical scalpels and anesthesia. They did it with flint, stones, primitive knives. Ouch. So what God was trying to say there, to show there, is that it's not by their might or what they can do. It's by his power. And I feel like that today. I feel ill-prepared. I feel like I'm, I'm lost. I, my mind, I, I feel like what I'm going to talk about today. Um, except my heart is not pure. There's so many things going on. So I just pray that... Um, I know it's not me. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you again for this body of Christ that you brought together, these people that you love. Lord, thank you for the many years that you've gathered these people here in this place. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that has fallen upon us week after week. And even in our brokenness, Lord, that you are using us to be a light. So, Lord, as we come here today, open our eyes and our hearts to to see you, to hear you, to receive from you your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I believe we're in a very special time in history. Over the last number of years, God has been, you know, there's all kinds of discovery in our world. God has been very good to me in helping me um, learn about these things in the area of human behaviors, in the area of the brain. Um, I've learned more about the biological aspect of our brain. And I found that where archaeology has been helping us understand more about the truth of the biblical accounts and stories. Like Jericho, we studied. You know, they found in archaeology um, this, this dug up this city. And Lisa, when we were preparing for this um, talk in Sunday Life Group, found this picture these walls of Jericho were incredible. They were seven feet high with stones and ten more feet high with mud piled up. And there were two of them separated by 14 feet of a slope, a slant. It's impenetrable. And so we, we, with those archaeological findings, we understand more about how difficult that city was to conquer. And it makes our study of the word so much richer, so much more exciting because... 
when you hear about these Israelites walking around the wall, just walking around, seven days, and the wall collapsed. And, and if you read that these walls were so impenetrable, it's, it's not easy to get through. Even if they have ladders, they go through the first wall, they could be easily killed. But I find psychology, to me, the area that I study, is also very exciting and verifying the truth of biblical accounts and stories. With our modern day discoveries, you are able to look at the Bible and, and say, wow, God has already shown it to his people then. the truths that we're finding out today. I'm hoping that what I have discovered will help bring out the truth in a way that you can understand how God's word applies even to our 21st century society. Today I'm going to focus on on just one verse in Matthew Now, see, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. The verse in your handout, it says Matthew 5, 9. And I didn't even spot it until it was too late. It's Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the poor, uh, pure in heart, for they will see God. What a passage. You will see God if your heart is pure. Do you wonder if that is why sometimes you don't see God, that you question, like the purity of your heart? Have you wished you can see God more clearly? Have you ever thought of asking Jesus to show you more visibly that he is real? Have you thought that you will see him when life is not so dreary? You wish that the excitement of God that you experience from the summer conferences or the SYCs will carry you through your walk with him for the whole year. Does it have to be so down? We see, we see him more clearly then. But we seem to lose that as time wears on. Can we see him when all this conflict is going on around us, in our homes, in our churches, and in our world? Why are things falling apart when, when there is a God? Well, I'm excited to share some of the things that I've learned from this study in my work with people. Some of you, like me, may already see God, but you don't realize it. I hope that you will see that there is excitement, which is what that word blessed means. Blessed are the pure in heart. That word in Greek is marakarios, makarios, which means um, supremely blessed and fortunate. I hope and I hope that you, you will 
feel that excitement and feel blessed when we realize that we do see him. And if you're not, you will hopefully learn what is blocking you from that. So I'm asking, first of all, what does it mean by seeing God? I think you may all know that it doesn't mean seeing God literally, for the Bible says that it is not possible that we can see God and live. Even in the Old Testament, people who actually had close encounters with God generally saw angels and not really himself. And definitely it does not mean when we see him only after we leave this life. Now I've changed the word of this um, verse slightly. And said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see it. I hope it's not distorting the truth. I think it helps me understand it a lot more. It may be like the experience of saying, I see, when you finally understand or know something. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will understand it. They will be able to connect the dots. They will get it. They will have common sense. They will get what God is trying to do with their life or what is happening in the world. They see it. They get it. Now from this perspective, this verse is very important. It is a key to, to getting it. The aha moments we get in life. Isn't that wonderful? Can you see how important it is then to be pure in heart? we will understand and make sense of things, good things and bad things. So do you get it? Now, seeing God means seeing his realness in daily life. Do you get it? I got it when I was in school. I remember when I was studying biochemistry and looking at the microbiological systems in our bodies and how they work together. Then I realized I saw God. I realized there's nothing less than a wonderful designer for our bodies. Those of you who are studying scientists, do you get it? Do you see it? Do you see God? Do you see God in your studies? On Thursday, I was here with the worship team. I'm thankful for this uh, opportunity to speak to you, not only for the chance to speak to you, but I got a chance to meet with the worship team and see how they're working. And I'm thankful, too, for how they prepare their hearts. every week before they come before you. But I got to speak to a person, Iris, who runs the sound system. I was talking to her. And she shared with me about her work and her studies. You know, she makes prosthetic arms and legs. 
And she was so excited with what she did. She was describing how, you know, we take it for granted even for us to move around, to run. And she was describing how much harder it is to run with a prosthetic leg and how hard it is to make a prosthetic leg to do simple things that we, we normally do without thinking. She sees it. She sees God's design in all of us. And through her work, it has led her to firm belief that God is real. We go and ask her for more of her experience and excitement. And she told me a lot more about things that she's experiencing and how she's seen God working through her and in her. How about you? Do you get these aha moments? Do you see it? In the daily life that you go through. Now seeing God means seeing things from His perspective. As well. I got it when I got into a fight with my wife. I had an argument with her. It's a few years ago now. It was one of those times that I got so upset that I couldn't stand staying there with her, so I walked to the park. During that walk, I saw God. He helped me understand what I was upset about. I was angry. That Lisa did not see my point or grieve with me. Normally I would stew on what she has done to make me upset. How inconsiderate she is after all I've done for her. This time God showed me that it was my deep unmet need that made me upset. I needed someone who loves me to agree with me and support me in whatever I do. You see, I grew up with parents who fought intensely with each other when I was young. It was a very tense environment. So I was still looking for that wonderful, unconditionally supportive environment to be met by my wife. So whenever Lisa did not fulfill that need for support, I got upset with her. That day, I was able to see it from God's perspective. I understood why I threw a tantrum and how I've been trying to recreate my ideal early environment with my poor wife. Seeing God means understanding His plan. During that same incident with Lisa, I saw God because I understood his plan for me. He was saying to me, I want you to myself. I know your need for someone to be there with you. I am the one. I don't want you to lean on anyone, not even your dear wife, as much as you lean on me. I learned to see God's plan. It was to wean me away from the childish longings so that I can be mature 
so that I won't get upset with her when she doesn't go along with my ways. So seeing God is a sense that I, I understand. I see it. Why things are happening the way they are in my life, in the world. I can see what is going on. I can also... It can also be the seeing of the bigger picture in life for myself and even for others. So seeing God's plans and understanding its thoughts. I understand why I got upset with my wife. Now I understand what is, what is going on with the conflicts in people. I understand why we're fighting so much with each other. I can see God in the not so good circumstances. It's clear. But of course, I, I'm seeing God in very good circumstances as well. I see the Bible more as a living word speaking to my life situations, not just as a bunch of fictional stories or regulations to follow. I can almost see His creation in all things, even walking down concrete jungles. Every good circumstance or bad circumstance can be an opportunity for us to see God his plans, his handiwork, and his purpose. So I pray that more people could experience the promise of this verse, that we will see God, we get it. So what are the conditions that will allow us to see God? This verse simply says it is our pure hearts. What is pure? What is heart? Now, what is purity? Chris Jerome helped me with uh, these props here. Thank him for thinking up all of the ideas. Um, what is purity? You look at this. It's a pure bottle of, um, well, water. You think of purity as you can see from this a jar with dirt and you can't really see through it so pureness what comes to your mind the physical things purity is the absence of contamination these soil, these dirt is contamination you can't see through them this one here has no contamination as much as I see it. It is pure. What is the heart? When the Bible talks about the heart, it can be a number of things. It is not just our emotions or affections. It is the emotional, intellectual, and will, our mind. It is the total person that includes our desires. Now, what is purity of heart, pureness in heart? What does that mean? Now, pure is single substance, nothing else. Purity of heart, in some ways, can mean singleness of the mind. No other idols or things in our hearts, only God. That is when we see Him. That is when we get it.
Now, there are things that go on in our lives, day to day, that are like dirt that we put into the water, that makes the water impure. What can you think of in your life? That are those dirts, that are those impurities that is put into your heart. That's clouding your vision of God. That's clouding you from seeing Him. What can you think of? Is it the schoolwork, the busyness, the relationships that you have or don't have, the exams that are coming up, all those things that worry, worry you and worry me when I was going through school. What are the impurities that you have? Are they deeper, more... scary issues. Issues of anger that you don't dare let people know. Issues of uh, struggle with your thought life that you don't dare let people know. Are these the impurities that are in your heart? So what keeps us from being pure? I think a lot of us are like this glass jar here with all the stirred up stuff inside. Everything is made murky. We can't really see very clearly. Our minds can be clogged up, leading us to have poor clarity and vision. Now some of us may be even worse. Now, this is orange juice. This is Coke. It's a pure Coke, pure orange juice, but they're not pure water. The impurities may be so integrated that we don't even realize it. So unless we are pure, it will be hard for us to see God. So what is keeping us from being pure? Now I believe that we have a clear understanding of how these impurities come about for these jars or this bottle of Coke. The Bible talks about the heart, um, the desires of our heart which I believe can be those competing voices that affect our purity, keeping us from our single-mindedness. What are these desires? I have come to know from my study of people and working with people, and these desires represent deep unmet needs that are not easy to spot. Here is where I think psychology or science can augment our understanding of the Bible principles. So what are these desires? I would call them longings. 
in a simple way, they are they are longings of connectedness that we all have. But the connectedness with key people in our lives, namely our parents. And we discover that early on in our lives, if we don't have the proper connection with our parents, especially with our mother, it leads to stress. These stress are like those impurities that cloud our mind, cloud our brain, that clogs us from seeing things. Let me give you an example. I mean, part of the reason I, I, I struggle so much is there's so many things I, I would like to share. And, um, and I could only share with the time one thing. The early lack of connection of baby with its mother can be yeah, the source of our struggles. We have seen children who have experienced difficult birth become extra needy of their parents. Or babies who have had their mothers be their primary caregivers or who have had not had their mothers around them when they were growing up. When the mother whom they have known in utero made the connection, cannot be found, it leads to a deep sense of helplessness, even hopelessness. That deep sense of disconnectedness can be made worse later by other circumstances like parents' anxiety, their depression, or conflicts. Because these memories are so early, they may not be easily spotted but they're in us and these babies then can grow up to be rather hyper or clingy or they can be overly independent in the Global Mail yesterday there's an article about loneliness and talking about how that is a a a very um, critical thing that's happening nowadays. Most of us face that loneliness. David Sutcliffe, I don't know if you, any of you know his name. He's a 44-year-old, handsome and accomplished actor who suffers from chronic loneliness. He was once a regular on Gilmore Girls. I bet my daughter would know her, him. And now the star of CBC's TV um, show called Cracked. Apparently, his whole life has been plagued by a profound sense of isolation. He stayed inside and self-medicated. He felt so alone that he would get a message, a massage, just to feel another person's touch. Professor Cassiopo, who wrote this, uh, who, who was interviewed for this article, is doing research in this area of loneliness, finds that loneliness is a failure to connect. I won't be surprised that this individual likely suffers from an early disconnect from his family. A very talented young man that I'm working with, with grew up in a Christian family. 
he's had very difficult connections with his parents, especially with his mom. He started even when he was in her womb, when he probably was scared quite badly. He's been suffering from underachievement in school. He has been going to school but admits that he doesn't really trust God or very many people. He realizes that he has been finding girlfriends to be his substitute for his mother. Here's a person whose heart is torn because of deep desires and longings that he has and made it hard for him to even trust God. It is not surprising that he doesn't see God that easily even though he's attending a church. So it's not a simple thing for these individuals to become pure. For them to see God clearly is very hard. It takes people who understand their struggles to help bring them to a place where they can see the deeply seated impurity. They can be freed with a proper understanding of what they're struggling with. I know that more people are struggling with this than we acknowledge. This can be a reason why our church and other churches have struggled so much. So how do we become pure? Now this guideline, I'm thinking more, um, applied to those with this sandy jar. You're not in a state of like deep embedded impurities. For most of us, a lot of us, we become pure, not, not out of our own strength, not out of our own doing. It is totally what God gives as I surrender to Him. We look back to the verses before verse 8. The Beatitude starts with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are those who are meek. So how do we become clean? It is not doing it on our own. Some of us may try to. We try to suppress those things that bother us. We try to ignore them. We try to keep busy in our lives. Recently, I've been thinking a little bit more about um, and encountering people who are going for Eastern meditation. And I think Eastern meditation is maybe like suppressing, trying to quiet our hearts down in a way like these bigger rocks are settling down to the bottom so that the rest of us are, are, are... can see but they're not taking away these impurities we're pushing them away as a matter of fact I'm learning and teaching people to listen rather than to push away those cries that are coming from our hearts that we're doing so much ourselves to keep busy to do all kinds of things and some people even travel a lot to keep our hearts in our own way 
to ignore the cries that are coming, the cries that are coming from deep within. Developing a pure heart is learning to trust God. This is what poor in spirit, in essence, says. It's developing a surrendered heart. Now again, for these people who have early traumas in their lives, it's not easy to surrender. They lost their, the person that they could trust very early in life. Oftentimes, they feel very helpless. They feel very hopeless. They feel like no one, there's no one they can really rely on or can trust. Not their parents. Not even God. So it is hard for them to go to that place to become poor in spirit, to seek God only, the only one, to be there for them. So I ask you as you hear this, examine if have you relinquished your control to be the boss of your own life and totally lean on Him. And this is what poor in spirit means. When you come to the end of your rope in life, a lot of difficulties have you experienced. Do you see it as his reminder for you to go back to him rather than complain? It's interesting, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a medical doctor who wrote a lot about, who preached um, in England, and he wrote a thick book on the Sermon on the Mount. He saw these two verses, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then the next verse, blessed are those who mourn. How they are actually leading up to the pureness in heart. Blessed are those who mourn. Are people who are developing a soft heart. Your heart is not hard. And how do you how do you know you have a soft heart? Examine if your heart is soft towards him. Do you respond to changes that he has asked you to make? Or do you keep making excuses not to change? It was four years of avoiding my mother, whom I thought of as Saul, and I was David. We had a horrible, horrible fallout when we lived together. I got to the point where I could not forgive her. I could not bear even to see her on the street. I knew that she was living in Richmond at the time we were. You should see how scared I was of running into her. Then one day God suddenly spoke to me. I actually heard, not audibly, these thoughts in my head. You still think of your mother as an enemy, don't you? Yes, definitely. He then said, what do I say about your enemies? I said, no way. Love your enemies. Lord, you're not serious. I can love other people who are my enemies, but not my mother. 
I'm thankful for that encounter with God. I listened with my heart and followed through with connecting back to her. What came after would be another story. Where is your heart? Is it soft or is it hard? Are you mourning? Mourning is crying. And I often encounter people who can't cry. I have a young man who's, who thanked me for helping him finally be able to cry because he's been so toughened in his heart against the hurts that he's experienced. Do you respond when God calls you to change? Is your heart soft? Blessed are those who are meek, are those who develop a humble heart. Do I quickly defend myself when others point out my mistakes? Am I receptive and open to God using others for my correction? A fourth way that we can learn to purify, to to allow us to surrender to God is what Henry now wrote in his book, The Way of the Heart. It's prayer. He wrote about the early desert fathers developing their faith. They have to go away from society. Now Moses did that going away for 40 years in the desert. So did Jesus before he started his ministry. And we don't have to go away to a desert for 40 years. But we can take time away from our busyness to focus on God. It may be that semi-annual half-day prayer that some of you can join and use it as a time to retreat, to listen, to hear from Him. The last thing is draw near to God and He will draw near to you. James says in chapter 4, verse 8, I will encourage you to join Bible study classes or life groups to develop the skills to learn His Word. This is what has helped me in my personal journey learning how to listen to God through listening prayer is also very beneficial. Now, by doing all this, you're still not seeing God. You're not able to get it. There may indeed be some deep impurities. And I would ask you to seek help and not be discouraged. So this Christmas season, as we approach Christmas, it's a busy time. We can be crowded with a lot of fun things. A lot of people may be going through difficult times as well, of family, conflict. I just pray that we all can take time. learn to listen to him and see him and clean our hearts.